the Way of Oneness. Hi, everyone. I'm Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, and I'm a Sensei of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive American Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks delivered at our Salt Lake City Fellowship Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. So the title of this Dharma talk is Anatta, the self that you think is you, the story of yourself is not yourself. I'm going to start from there. So for today's Dharma talk, we're going to talk about the last of the three marks of existence, the three core realizations of the Buddha's awakening. We've already talked about anicca, or impermanence. We've talked about dukkha, or suffering. And finally, we're going to talk about non-self, or anatta. Now, on a certain level, this can be one of the most confusing of the Buddha's realizations, and one of the most important in practicing the way. For today's talk, I want to look at that perspective from practice. How does the teaching of non-self help us in our everyday lives? Our everyday life is what the Buddha was concerned about. As we've used the metaphor before, the Buddha was also known as the great physician. And his concern was our liberation from suffering, disappointment, and mental enslavement. He was a pragmatist more than a philosopher. He knew as humans, we have a tendency to hear something and we immediately go to conjecture. For us as materialist Westerners, we tend to hear the term non-self and we go down that same tangled and tangential path of conjecture. As long as we are conjecturing, we are not applying the wisdom of what the Buddha was trying to teach. The Buddha knew that is why he never left such questions answered even when asked directly. Questions such as, is the cosmos eternal? Is it not eternal? Is it finite? Is it infinite? Is the body the same as the soul? Is the body one thing and the soul another? In the Buddhist perspective, these conjectures, these questions, take us away from the important part of our path of becoming free. He considers these questions of themselves, quote, a thicket of views, a wilderness of views, a contortion of views, a writhing of views, a fetter of views. It is accompanied by suffering, distress, despair, and fever. And it does not lead to disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, to calm, to direct knowledge, to full awakening, to unbinding, end quote. So I know this about myself, that I like being in my head more than my heart. And I think a lot of us may know that about ourselves. Doesn't mean we don't feel. It just means we would rather be in our head because we think we can control things there. 
we may be afraid of our heart because our heart is a wild thing. A thing filled with darkness and power. And at times, it is still bubbling with the suffering from when we were children. From the fears we were taught, maybe, by our parents. We still are suffering from a world that was supposed to be. To be in a certain way, and that was not. There is where my shadow self lives, in a house of shame. And thinking about things makes that reality, makes that undiscovered, unexplored country less scary. Because there are scary things inside myself. And if I can turn these things into concepts, into ideas, it makes them less scary and hopefully more manageable. It also allows me from having to look at them directly. In another way this is true is when it comes to my conception of myself. The stories I tell about myself. And that is what I want to talk about here. As human beings, we story. And that is what we do. We story. And maybe we shouldn't be called homo sapiens after all, but instead homo narratus. Because we are constantly telling stories about stories about stories about ourselves and about other people. And we tell these stories from a place of unknowing. And so many of us say, I hate fiction. I only read nonfiction. Fiction is a waste of time. Why would I waste fiction? But your very existence is the telling of stories. Is the telling of stories. I also think this is why myth, myth can be so powerful and so transformative. Because we at our very nature are storytellers. And myth is storytelling. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of storytelling from humans who were like us, who had similar pains, similar doubts, similar fears, similar shames. The stories are part of our way in engaging the world. We cannot free ourselves from story, but we can tell a story that more aligns to things as they are. If we allow the story of myth to work upon us, we can see things in a different light. And now we're going to get a little mythic. Now, I want to be clear. Part of the Buddha's realization was anatta, or non-self. So what does that mean from an everyday perspective? And I want to start with an account of the Buddha's retelling of what happened on the night, the night just before his awakening experience. And this is from the Mahasaka Sutta in the Pali Canon. And for me, this has become a really practical understanding of non-self for me in my everyday life. Quote from the Sutta. When the mind was thus concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of defilement, pliant, malleable, steady, and attained to imperturbability, 
I directed it to the knowledge of recollecting my past lives. I recollected my manifold past lives. One birth, two, five, ten, fifty, a hundred, a thousand. There, I had such a name, belonged to such a clan, had such an appearance. Such was my food, such my experience of pleasure and pain, such the end of my life. Passing away from that state, I rearose there and there and there, and there too I had such a name, belonged to such a clan, had such an appearance, such was my food, such my experience of pleasure and pain, such the end of my life. Passing away from that state, I rearose here and then here and then here and then here, and thus I remember my manifold past lives in their modes and details. Now, for the story to be powerful, we don't have to believe in reincarnation or rebirth. That's not the important part. The important part is the story. Is the story and what it's telling us about the story of self. So I want you for a moment to imagine this. Now we're going to go into the imaginal capacity of the mind to help us understand an important truth about identity. So let's say you could remember all the beings that you have been. You could remember not just who you are now, but who you were then. You can remember being Maria Delgado mother of four, daughter of eight, who lived at this place, and how you loved the sunrise in the morning, and you were Maria who loved those things, and you were Maria who was afraid of this or that. You were Maria who loved Max, who died because of the war. And if you had lived a thousand lifetimes, what war? Because you would remember a thousand wars. And in those thousand wars, you would have been the victim. And you would have been the perpetrator. All the wars eventually start to bleed together. All the wars, all the wars now you know. In this reimagining, you see yourself not as you are now, but as you were then, as mother as father, as brother, as sister, the absolute fluidity of identity and gender, as black, as white, as slave, as slaveholder. But not just in the human realm. You can remember your life as a bird and your bird consciousness. What would it be like to fly on the thermals of air. You would also remember what it was to be prey and predator. And what it was like to simply want to get away from the claws of the lion as your impala heart is bursting. Between. 
You would remember being the fish that swims, the tree that climbs towards heaven, reaching for the stars. You would remember being all of this, and this giant cacophony of lives would be you. All of them you. None of them you. All of them just as meaningful to you as you are now with that same attachment to I am. This is the story of what the Buddha experienced in the night before rising of the morning star. This is what the Buddha experienced through deep meditation before his awakening. This story to me speaks of the fluidity of self. It breaks down the barriers between myself and others. If I can just imagine in my life being all things I have been, mother, father, brother, system, victim, perpetrator, hero, villain, bear, wolf, rabbit, fish, tree, and flower, why do I hold on so tightly to this thing called Christopher? Who is Christopher? in the midst of these long, long dances of life. As Rodney Smith, a meditation teacher, has written in Stepping Out of Self-Deception, quote, the story about me is based on untested conjectures and has multiple levels of assumed realities that forms the foundation about opinions of our narrative. So our narratives of ourselves are nothing more than smoke. If I really think about who is Christopher of right now, in the flow of now, compared to the Christopher of just the past 10 to 20 years of my life, the one who's with me now, who sits here now, is me, but it's not me. Again, the fluidity of life, of self, and this endless becoming. One of the beautiful things as you get older, when you start to get your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, and 70s, you can look back and you can remember being 15, and you can remember being 35 and 40 and 50. You can remember as if it was yesterday, but it's not you. Continuity does not mean that's you. Because the person I was 20 years ago is not who sits here now. The person who sits here now, right now, each one of you, is not you of 10 years ago. It is you of the now, in the flow of now, in the becoming of the now. So for me, when I was first trying to understand the idea of non-self, I, I automatically kind of went to this story of this remembering of lives. And the first thing that came as I was imagining, I was in this imaginal space, and I could remember all my lives. The, the immediate response was compassion. Was this unbounded compassion, this profound sense of compassion, born of intimacy, of being this and being that. It is said, that later in the night, the Buddha was not only able to see the coming and going of his own countless lives, but the countless lives of all beings, where you too 
had such a name and belonged to such a clan and had such an appearance and had all the same dreams. He was able to see also in their life how their actions and deeds determined their lives and their outcomes, their suffering and their joys. And it is said it was there that he reimagined the law of karma, of causes and conditions. And that is where he came up or realized the idea of praticca samupada or codependent arising. Tasano Bhikkhu, teacher and scholar, believes it was this experience that was a prerequisite for the Buddha's final awakening. For him to finally let go of all sense and identity of self. So, is a similar experience important for our own awakening? I don't know. But what can this teach us today? The greatest problem we have today is our pathological misperception that we are a separated, isolated, independent self. That our actions have little effect on the world or, our, or ourselves. We have invented numerous victimless crimes and victimless actions without consequences. We have created a world of self-imposed solitary confinement, cut off from one another, thinking we have nothing in common, or worse, that we are all out to get one another. And this all to our planet's detriment. Here is the important teaching about anatta for our everyday life. As Guillaume Kubose Sensei teaches, quote, when we stop to think of self, what self is, we see a different picture of self. There is no self really without the other. Self is an absolute relative thing, and the real self is the selfless or selfless state. In other words, when the Buddha teaches that for something to have a self, the self has to be independent and not tied to any causes and conditions. And since everything is tied to causes and conditions, there can be no self per se. Self is a relative thing, not a fixed thing. That means that our stories about ourselves are also not a fixed thing, but a relative thing that can evolve and change. We all know this from our lives. We all can look back and see times in our lives when we perceive the world in a very different way than we do now. And the attendant effects of seeing the world from a different point of view has on our life. Again, Guillaume Kabose Sensei says, as Walt Whitman once said, modern people think that self is something that lies between one's shoes and hat. That is far from the truth. But how many of us actually believe this? 
How many of us are addicted to stories of ourselves? I'm always uncomfortable when I've been to certain meditation groups and say, tell me something you love about yourself. You know, we've, we've all been there. We've all done that. Tell me something you don't like about yourself. And they go, and they go, okay, those are stories. Let's talk about the story. Let's not talk about what we like about the story. But let's look at the unlooked at assumptions of the story. The assumptions of reality of the story. The things that we have just, on a certain level, bought hook, line, and sinker that are true. He goes on to say, what people usually think of themselves is very temporal and an illusion. Most people think the I is very important. I believe this. I did that. I have the right, etc., etc., etc. The Buddha called this I making and my making. And this I making and my making self, we can call our conventional self. And we can we can see this conventional concept self as causing all kinds of suffering. We learn from the Buddhist teachings that the source of so much of our suffering comes from I, my, and mine. Just look. Just observe your own life. And look at I, my, and mine. And where suffering arises from that my making. And the problem with all of this my-making is it separates us from one another, but it also separates us from time itself. Because on a certain level, it denies impermanence. The conventional self is based on ignorance and a misperception that the self is somehow independent of all things and even its actions. We always like to say life is totally unfair. I probably am really happy that life is not fair. Because I got what I actually deserve. Life is completely and totally interdependent. As Guillaume Cabose Sensei goes on to say, I is the sum total of all people and things. I is the sum total of all other people and things. And yet we get so attached to our own star story and how we identify with it. What is your story? What is your story? And what about your own story are you most attached to right now? I had a story for years, and it literally almost destroyed me. And it destroyed my mother. And it was a story of injustice. That I had done everything right. That I had done everything I was supposed to do. That I was kind and loving and selfish, self, selfless, giving. I worked hard, and I deserved to be happy. I deserved no one to ever abandon me. Everybody to love me that I love. Everybody to be nice. Everybody to like me. Everybody to be kind. And life to be easy. And when it wasn't, the world was unjust. And everybody else was less than me. And I had become the martyr. 
And I realized in my own experience that life is not unjust or just. Life is what life is. People will abandon you, and you will abandon people. You will be kind to people, and you will be unkind to people. But for me, the story I was attached to was the world's injustice. And because I was attached to that story, I only saw injustice. What is it that we're attached to about ourselves? That we're unworthy, unlovable, that we're weak? What is it that we're attached to? And how often do we fight that story? When others or our own experience shows us that our story is untrue, we deny it and we fight against that evidence. No, 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 no. I think you're really kind. Oh, you just don't know. You, no, you, you, you can be some. You don't have to believe this story. You are lovable. You don't have to be anybody. You're okay just as you are. Yeah, no, no, you're full of shit. What are you talking about? How many of us believe that? And not just in an intellectual way, in a visceral way. And why is it that come as you are resonates with us? We tend to be most attached to the negative parts of our story. And born out of those negative parts of our story, we find that thing that helps us survive. So the thing that helped me to survive was I was an empath. I was empathic. But that became a story in itself. Because that story said I was more special than other people. That I had this ability to tap into something and know something. That how could I know what somebody else was thinking and feeling? I mean, literally. I could sense it. I can infer it. But that's different than knowledge. That was a story I was attached to. And all these stories are stories. And I am so much more. And you are so much more than your story. Can you see how the story you have about yourself that you've just come up with is based on certain assumptions, known and unknown? That's why Dogen teaches us the way is to know yourself and to know yourself is to forget yourself. To know yourself is to see through the stories of self and to see you are so much greater than the best story you can write of yourself. Our hat and shoe self, I'm going to start using that. Our hat and shoe self is limited, is a limited self and a bounded self, an isolated self born in a world lacking interconnection. One of the teachings of Anatta is that we have to forget or let go of all the narrow ideas we might have about who we are, and who others are. <laughs> if we who are is not fixed, that means what? That means we can change. That means transfor transformation is possible. That means other people can change and will change even when we don't want them to. Even though change is inevitable and we can fight 
we can fight it, and we can hold our ideas of self, positive and negative, many times we're going to see evidence to the contrary. What we want to do is we want to realize that the idea of self and self itself is not fixed. Yourself is not a noun. Yourself is a verb. Even the Buddha is not a noun, but a verb. We are hardened when we hold on to our stories. And when we are, it's hard for life to touch us. For us to be transformed by the teachings. In traditional Pure Land tradition, there's this concept of other power represented by Amida Buddha. And how does that practice relate to this other power? The practice is the idea that we let go, we entrust, we surrender to other power. Now, sometimes this can sound like something outside of ourselves. But I think more importantly, it's pointing to something more inside of ourselves, through the language of myth. Self-power is the conventional self the hat and shoe self, seeing itself separated and unchanging, trying to navigate a constantly changing world. For this conventional self, me, myself, and I, and everything else is the other. It is not me. Other power, which is represented by Amida Buddha, is who we really are, who, what reality really is. It is everything outside of this small, myopic way of seeing ourselves. In reality, there is no self. There is no other. We are all one. And that's what Namu Amida Butsu represents and means. So, how can we use this teaching of non-self? For me, the most direct way for us to do it is gratitude practice. Through gratitude practice, we start to see through the conventional self that sees itself at the center of the universe. Through gratitude practice, we begin to realize that everything comes to us not because of our own efforts, that even our own efforts are itself due to others. Without this realization, we think we are in control of our world and other people. Gratitude practice helps us to realize how interdependent and dependent we are. Everything we do, everything we, drew, we dream of, is because of eight inches of topsoil. Without that, life would not be possible, which is now a possibility. All the self-importance we give our opinions and ideas are meaningless without this eight inches of topsoil. When was the last time you said, thank you, eight inches of topsoil? Letting go of our attachment to self, we can start to let go of our way or the highway mentality. We can let go of the grip we have on our stories of who or who others are. We can restory our story to be open, inclusive, and responsive instead of reactive, closed, and fixed. 
and begin to live a life sustained by all things and see all things as they are. And through our practice, the lines from our Amitabha chant may take on new significance. Quote, the sun's light, the moon's radiance, the flowers blooming, the song of the bird, and through the work of all people, I receive everything. The heavens and earth and all of humankind are supporting me. And because of this, I am alive. This whole world revolves like this. I am so grateful for I know there is no I apart from others. Saying Namo Amitabha, I acknowledge this with a grateful receiving heart. Namo Amitabha. I remember once sitting, sitting on a big Main Street uh, back in the day when um, I was single and wandered a lot around places. Uh, and I and I had friends, well, my homeless friends. I walked down Main Street all the time, going to work, catching traps. I made friends with all the homeless people. Come to their defense when they needed. Would actually ask their name. I wanted to know who they were and their stories. Um, and it was very interesting to hear other people's story about them. That was fascinating because everybody had a story about the person who was a pain. And some were kind of close to the truth. Some were, some were like so amazingly fictitious and crazy. It was like, what were you smoking, Temple Square lady? Um, <laughs> but one day afterwards, we were, we were sitting down, and I was just talking to them. And I was remembering that idea. And it's taught in Tibetan Buddhism and Pure Land Buddhism that everybody was once your mother. We should be grateful to every human being because they were once your mother. Countless lifetimes, everyone has been your mother. <laughs> everyone, we are all each other's mothers. I love that idea. And I'm sitting there with this homeless woman who's got no teeth, um, who hasn't bathed in a while, and she's my mother. And I'm looking at her as my mother, not as a homeless person, not as Abigail but as my mother. I'm filled with like this gratitude for her. And I'm seeing her in a different light. And it's simply because I am allowing the imaginal, I'm allowing the mythic to inform my life. It's not about, it's not about if it's real or not, factual or not. It's real for me. It's true for me. Is it factual? Well, probably not. She probably wasn't my mother in a previous life. I don't know. But for me, that day, that moment with that woman, she was my mother. And David sitting next to her, he was my mother. His beautiful schizophrenic self, he was my mother. And I watched him go up and down. Watch him in the depths of his terror. And see him in the peaks of his joy. And at that moment, he was not David. He was not schizophrenic. He was my mother. 
my mother offering me his half bottle of vodka. <laughs> and I drank it because he was my mother. I debated it. But I believe in the protection of the Buddhas. <laughs> now, this is not a comment on addiction or alcohol or anything like that. I'm just sharing an experience I had. And I took it as a gift from my mother. And I know for him it was a gift. It was not something he normally did. But this is the power that the mythic and story can have in our lives that can be transformational. And those two people to this day are my mothers in my heart. And I look for them. And I haven't seen David for years. And on a certain level, it breaks my heart to know where he might be or might not be. But he will always be a part of my life. Um, thank you again for coming and being in a space where you can be safe with one another and protecting that space. You all are guardians of this space. And when you come and you practice here, you act as a guardian of that space. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The Way of Oneness is produced by the Salt Lake City Buddhist Fellowship, an all-inclusive, trans-sectarian American Sangha in the spirit of Bright Dawn Way of Oneness Buddhism. To learn more about the Fellowship, please contact us at saltlakebuddhist.org. Our website will give information about meetings and other services that we provide the community. Again, thank you for listening.